Do you know any leaders who are pretty charismatic but can have a devastating effect on others in the room? Do you recognise your own strengths and the shadow sides that come with them? And how often are you really aware that other people may well see you as a leader, even if you don't feel like one? As a professional, people often look to us for leadership and guidance, even if we're not in an official leadership position. And we may forget to think about how our attitudes, personalities and behaviours can affect the people we work with. Yet an awareness of our impact on others is crucial to working with people and being self-aware and emotionally intelligent is one of the key ingredients for success. This week, Dr. Joanna Bircher, GP partner, clinical director of the Greater Manchester GP Excellence Programme and co-author of the book, The Leadership Hike, joins me on the podcast to discuss the impact of the side effects of our personalities, strengths and personal styles. We talk about how understanding yourself better can make such a difference in getting teams to thrive at work. So listen, if you want to find out why you need to act like a leader, even if you don't think you are one, how to find out what effect you might be unknowingly having on your team, and how to find out what your strengths and blind spots might really be. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. It's really brilliant to have with me on the podcast today, Dr. Joanna Bircher. Now, Jo is a GP partner. She's one of the RCGPQI clinical champions. She's the clinical director of the Greater Manchester GP Excellence Programme. And also she's a co-author of The Leadership Hike. Uh, a book um, about leadership in primary care. So you haven't done much then, have you, Jo? <laughs> it's what you accumulate these things, don't you, the longer that you survive in the in the world. So it always, you know, it, you clock it up. It's more to do with longevity, I think, than a massive achievement. Rubbish, because this book is is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's quite a weighty volume, but it's just got 
so much in there. How, how did you find the time to write this along with being a partner and doing all of the other stuff? Well, unfortunately, I'm a co-author, so I didn't have to write the whole thing myself, although we did do a lot of editing of each other's work, which was a, um, a real pleasure, actually. Amal was a fabulous person to work with. What I did was I dropped um, a session, then just, um, I guess, just made sure it was timetabled in and tried to, um, uh, I, I'm a QI person, I love project planning. I would create a Gantt chart, obviously, what am I going to do this week? What am I going to do next week? So I tried to just be a bit disciplined with it. But I did say, and um, at the end of it, that's it. I'll never do that again. That would be painful. But of course, it's a little bit like having a baby, isn't it? And, the, and now we're busy working on, on a companion volume. And we've got you on the podcast because, well, A, there's, there's so many ideas of this book. We could probably do about 20 different podcasts just from all the different ideas in the book. But I guess when I was thinking about, you know, what would the listeners of You Are Not A Frog want to hear about in terms of leadership I started thinking will they be interested in leadership or not will they just sort of ignore this episode because it's about leadership and then thought well actually no because I think when you are a professional particularly working in health or social care or or any other profession such as you know law accountancy any of that I think just the fact that you are a professional automatically other people will see you as a leader even if you don't see yourself as a leader. Would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that. And I think the place where I particularly notice it is if you've got any kind of trainee in your practice, is they see themselves as being quite junior. And so, and they sometimes because of that, they don't recognise the impact they might have um, in a room or a space or a meeting or in reception when they're um, asking about something, how how they behave can have an impact on how the staff feel and they don't recognize that and that's because they're they're looked upon as as, you know being in more of a leadership role so yeah and I I do think you're right it's when we're not recognizing that that the that the trouble starts there's some people expecting us to behave like a leader we're not seeing ourselves as a leader and we maybe I don't know behave a little bit badly or don't treat people in the way that we would do as if we were we had considered ourselves to be leaders so I think what I wanted to talk about, and I know you're really passionate about this as well, is that people are leaders for all sorts of reasons. Some people are sort of, you know, like born leaders. They, they want to go off. They want to lead. They're always at the forefront of things that, you know, they're leading student societies from when they're about five years old, aren't they? And then some people just sort of wake up one day and find, flipping out, I'm, I'm, I'm in this position of leadership. I never set out to be here, but it's, it's just where I am. I mean, What's your leadership journey been like? Is it the, the first example? That's a great question. I think that probably was the first example. Um, and it's been a fantastic learning journey for me to recognise that actually the best leadership skills that you have and not that kind of willingness to step forward and to have the best ideas and the best answers, which might be the kind of the 10-year-old me. Um, and, and actually the best leaders are those that listen to the ideas of others and collaborate. And so I think there still is quite a lot of and um, mythology around leadership, this sense that it's somebody who's charismatic, who has great ideas, who's can force them forward. And, and, and while that kind of perpetuates the sense of what people's image of what a leader is, it actually gets in the way of people really developing their own skills because they either don't see themselves like that person or they don't particularly want to be that person, that image of, of a leader. And, and, and it kind of crushes their their development so that's been an interesting kind of learning learning thing for me I think my uh, well I hope that my style has changed quite a lot from what it was when I was 10. And how did you get into your sort of current leadership 
position now? You know, what, what was that journey for you? Okay, I was a partner in a practice for quite some time and then took on some additional roles. So I became an appraiser and appraisal lead and started to um, work with the CCG because I, I always had an interest in kind of black quality improvement. I didn't really know it was quality improvement at the time. I was, I was um, interested in kind of audit and, and data and getting things right. And so I, the CCG took me on in that role. And it's from the back of that that I um, got a place on the Generation Q programme, which was a development programme funded by Health Foundation. And to look at leaders across health and social care and, and on the voluntary sector to take them through a master's programme over about two and a half years in leadership for quality improvement in healthcare. And then and got the role at college initially as a support for the quality improvement and clinical lead. And then we became co-clinical leads for quality improvement and, and then the GP excellence programme on them soon after that. So it's one side kind of hit that health foundation programme. I could see all the opportunities that were out there and it actually became less daunting when you realise that leadership isn't always about knowing everything. Um, it's actually a bit of a relief that you get out there and use different skills, skills of uh, kind of exploring the ideas, brothers bringing people along and trying to kind of think together rather than, um, you know, leading from the front. So, yeah, it became a, became a, a kind of nicer role, really. Yeah, because that is quite, what's the word, confronting. That if, if you're thinking that in order to be a good leader, you need to have all the answers, you need to know everything, then either no one's going to become a leader or the only people that can't become a leader are people that are completely deluded. Yeah, I get we <laughs> not a good place to be, is it? No, and we've seen what happens. Yeah, we have these people, haven't we? Yeah, so, and, and also it's a, it's a, if you feel so strongly that you do have the right answers, then you, you're going to miss so much, aren't you? So... You're going to miss so many opportunities to, to go in a direction you would never have thought of. We've got, you know, it's a, our own capacity for thinking is, is tiny compared to group, groups working together. Yeah, yeah, totally. In coaching, I soon realised when I was training to be a coach that actually the less you know about the profession or the circumstances of the person that you're coaching, the better. Because it stops you interfering in, in the process because all the ideas and the solutions are definitely coming from that person not from yourself so one of the best coaches I know she's an ex-teacher she coaches someone in the nuclear industry you know so she she can't give them any of the answers they come up with the answers would you say that being a really good leader is almost a bit like that if you don't know all the answers but you possess the skills to be able to listen collaborate and then make good decisions would that be much better than someone who definitely does know all the answers? I think it's definitely better, but I don't think there is a problem in leaders having some some ideas too. But I do think that there is, and um, recognizing your power as leader and when you're presenting your ideas is really important because if you are perceived to be the most important person in the room and um, by others, sometimes once you've spoken, it crushes those the ideas of others. So once you've um, you said your idea, other, others in the room may feel it's now their role to implement that great idea and actually it may not be the best idea. And this is about and kind of having that awareness of, of power and what you bring to the room. And to, so a, a good leader can have great ideas, but also have a massively well-tuned um, awareness of the 
potential harm of coming in too soon with that idea or because actually if that idea comes from somebody else and not from you and even if you were thinking it it will have a greater I think a greater impact in the long term because you then get behind that idea and if you get if you're able to really get behind someone else on your team who has previously perceived themselves to have less power it gives them a step up boost their leadership development, their ability in to, to work in that. And that's very similar to coaching, actually. We, we know that if someone comes up with a solution, they're much more likely to do it than if you come up with a solution. I think this self-awareness, this awareness of power is a really interesting thing. And it goes back to that thing we were talking about right at the beginning, professionals not realising that they are seen as leaders by other people. And so that when they do speak, they think they might just be contributing, but often that does just shut everyone else up because all they're the doctor or they're the lawyer. They must, they must know everything. And you might just be saying your opinion. And we, we know we're, we're quite good at giving our opinions really as, as doctors. We don't, yeah. we don't hold back, but other people might be holding back. They might actually have much better ideas than us. Yes. And I think it's a fair assumption that they're more likely to be holding back. And so, yeah. And, and I mean, I, I find it really interesting how different techniques will bring people's ideas out. So um, depending on their own kind of style, they may feel much more comfortable writing a few notes down and then somebody else doing the talking or and finding a way of actually getting proper and um, contribution. But, but in order to bother using those methods, the first step is to make sure you really fully recognize the value of that. Because I've seen some people kind of pay lip service to and collaboration and contribution. But, and, but when you look at what the outcome is, it, it wasn't that they were allowing themselves to be changed um, by that process. They were just, you know, and, and so it's really coming to the table with a properly open mind, isn't it, when you're going to try and collaborate on something. Yeah, not just thinking, well, I know what the answer is. Let's, let's help people collaborate to come to my, to my decision. And let's give them a chance to have their say. That's that's what a lot of, sort of consultations feel like, isn't it? You know, we're consulting with you. We've, we've, our mind is made up anyway, but we want you to feel that 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 you've had your say. And I think having looked through the book and sort of chatted to you for a bit, it it does seem like this whole area of knowing the answers and knowledge is is just such a tiny part of being a leader. And actually, there's a lot more in this book about about self-awareness yeah uh, yeah knowing knowing your own strengths and what drives you and um, it, it's important because that in terms of keeping your motivation for work keeping your joy in work making sure you stay connected with what drives you and um, it's going to keep you going isn't it and help to prevent stress help to prevent burnout and and so it's making the most of that knowledge your own self-awareness but recognizing the importance of things like drives for other people around you and, and, and recognising strengths. So in my mind, there's, there's two barriers for self-awareness and, and particularly with, with people like doctors. The first barrier is that we are so busy and so stressed quite a lot of the time that it's really hard to be self-aware when we're often in that sympathetic zone. I call it being backed into the corner when we're in our fight, flight or freeze zones. We're just trying to get through the day. We're not really thinking straight. We can't really be creative. and and then. Self-awareness is pretty much the first thing to go. The second thing to go is awareness of anybody else and their motivation. So if we're really busy, self-awareness flies out the window. The second barrier, I think, and, and I've noticed this a lot in the doctors that I've coached and spoken to, is that we've never been taught about 
self-awareness, not in terms of like, this is what self-awareness is, but actually, you know, when I talk to my husband, he's done loads of personality profiles, skills, recognition stuff. He knows what his strengths are. He knows what his colors are and his Myers-Briggs profile, you know, because he's been through all that in, in leadership programs throughout his, his business. We've never done a strength survey even or, or no, we don't know what our, our colleagues' profiles or anything about that, that is. And maybe it's because we don't have time or because it's not particularly recognised or you only get that if you're doing an official leadership programme. What I think was really positive about the kind of new fellowships that are coming through that, that are immediately post-CCT is they've often got more of a focus on this. So people are having more a chance to look at kind of their strengths, their and personality, how that might impact on the job they do and how they feel about the job that they do. And, and my, my slight fear is it becomes a kind of deficit model that you, you look at people focus, because we do this, don't we? We focus at what we scored badly on. We, we know this from patient feedback. You might have got like 98 lovely comments about how wonderful your practices and you are, and then two which say something grumpy. And they're the only things we remember, the things that are <laughs> And, and so I fear slightly that sometimes if people focus too much on the, those profiles, they think, oh, God, I'm no good at that. I'm no good at that. And actually focus on the things that you are good at and actually look for where those, those other strengths are in others and, and enjoy that because you'll build a much better team if that's the case. When you were talking about your, your strengths earlier on, I was thinking, oh, me and you would make a brilliant team because you love data and spreadsheets. I can bear it a little bit. Yeah, it's the worst bit of my training, and you were jumping up and down, going, "Yay, all of it!" Yeah, like very useful person, but it comes to data, and they get disappointed when people aren't as excited about about data with me. And I'm, no, but having, heard, right. having, having heard you talk about data, I can see why why you're excited because you look at it in a completely different way. My important thing to think about as a leader is the recognition that not not everyone is as excited by the data as me, and that's okay. So to find a new narrative, to find a way of telling a story. For some people, it might mean looking at the data and for others, it might mean more of a kind of narrative approach. And, and so that, that's been a bit of a thing about, a, you know, a journey to self-awareness is that just giving people kind of benchmarking graphs won't make them suddenly want to do something different. So that's yeah. Really yeah. And, and also understanding that for other people, things aren't, you know, your strengths come easily to you. So I've had a few conversations with some friends here. I've obviously started a podcast, started an organization, have done stuff and there's stuff that I really enjoy doing, like presenting and, and stuff like that. And then someone else I was talking to was trying to do very similar. So I was like, well, you just, you know, how about doing some webinars or this and that? And just said, all you need to do is get a Zoom account and do this and that. And I could just see the blood draining. It's like, yeah. then it was like, <gasps> and and I had exactly the same experience, but in reverse, uh, the other week I was talking to, to someone who's really good at, you know, improving usability on websites and stuff. And he was saying, you need, all you need to do is just have a look at X, Y, and Z. And I was like, oh, <laughs> but then it was like really easy and really obvious. And for me, I was like that. I don't, I, I couldn't even, and I just could feel my anxiety rise. I was like, oh, maybe that's what it feels like when I tell someone just to jump on a webinar and do a webinar. That's really interesting because that's like when we're confronted with our de deficits, with the things we're less good at, it can generate a, a real kind of horrible feeling. I can sense I, I need to learn that thing. I must learn that thing. And that's, and if you can kind of stay close to your own strengths and what drives you, you can actually take a step back and think, do I want to learn this thing? Do I want to do that thing? Or are there things that my 
you know, my strengths are better used doing. It might be that you do, that you think, actually, this will be the thing that will take me to the next step and I'll learn it. But, but you don't have to, do you? It's, it's, there are people out there that oh, yeah. could do that stuff. And also, and also this person I was talking to, I was like, oh, crumbs, that sounds like it's about two weeks' work. And he said, oh, I'll do it for you. Like, I said, oh, no, I couldn't take advantage of you. He said, it will take half an hour. I was like, really? <laughs> you know, if someone's good at something, it will, take them, it will take them a lot less time. And I really like what you were saying earlier in the focus on developing your strengths rather than developing your weaknesses. And I think you're absolutely right. We have focused in medicine on developing our, our weaknesses, partly because if you're not good at communication and you're a doctor, you probably do need to learn to communicate, you know, and you're yeah. not good at the, there is a basic level you need to be at, right? But actually, we know that you're going to be much more su- successful. It's more economical. You get more bang for your buck by, by developing your strengths than developing your weaknesses. And you're not going to enjoy it as much. So you, you'll never be brilliant, brilliant at it. But we're not really in that mindset, are we? No, and, you, and you're right. So a lot of the models that we have to, we have to achieve certain competencies don't mm. get fixed in that set, in that mindset. But there's a greater advantage in being aware of the things that you're less good at in that this is your great opportunity as a leader to bring on those skills in, you know, let's bring someone into your team that supports you and that you really need. That builds a better team. So how would you go around about actually finding out what your strengths are? I get it. You're pushed for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz some of the profiles that you mentioned strengths and inventory and doing a Myers-Briggs they're all useful to a certain extent and just sometimes conversations with people who you trust and who and understand the dynamics of of where you work can be really useful. We've certainly done this as a as a partnership um, at various points over the years. I actually work with my husband, so you're you're much more honest with your spouse, aren't you? Than I think you probably would be in the work setting. So I can't. Obviously, everyone doesn't have that advantage. But uh, in terms of um, the impact of me being me on a dynamic in a room and on what happens within the practice, he would be my most honest critic, um, which actually has been really helpful over the years. It's not always been, you know, feedback that I've wanted to hear, but it's in the end, it's usually been really useful feedback. Again, we go back to self-awareness. It's that recognition that you being you will have great things that might, might happen as a result, but also side effects that we bring, we bring something positive to a route, but that there is also a little bit like any intervention, improvement intervention, drug intervention, it can have side effects. And it's kind of having that thought, what are the side effects of me um, and how do I mitigate for those things without, without beating myself up? Because, <laughs> you know, everything comes with good and bad. Yeah. I, I really like that idea of looking at it as side effects rather than what are my weaknesses. Actually, because you know, what are the side effects of my strength? I know. I, I have lots of ideas. 
but I know I can just overwhelm people with too many ideas at, at once and then no one knows quite what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. But that is a side effect of having lots of ideas rather than framing it as a weakness that I'm a bit scatty and not particularly focused. Oh, I like that. I, oh, I'm, I'm going I'm to use that. What are the side effects of your strengths? And you can see that people that are really good at detail, really good at detail and spotting yeah. problems and holes in it. The side effects of that are in a team meeting, if they go into the detail too quickly or they start to critique something too quickly, they can actually yeah. quash, a, quash an idea, can't they? Yeah, and slap the energy out of the room. But if they knew that that was a strength that was actually really, really important, but it just needed to be placed at the right time. So it's about recognising that that person's strength is great. And we, we find this in, in, in QI. So when you're implementing an intervention and you're measuring what the positive outcomes are, we always have a balance measure. We try to get some kind of balance measure. And that balance measure will be what the things that could go wrong. What do we need to make for? What, do, what are the side effects? And those detailed details, people are brilliant at that. They'll be thinking about the things that might go wrong and, and recognising that that's actually an important role and, and you need it. But actually, it would be really great if we could have it at this stage. Let's, at the moment, we're just throwing ideas out. We're at this stage and that person knows what their role is and when it's best situated. And they can even um, write down the things that are worrying them at the moment. So you don't have to verbalise them just yet. But scribble them down because it's, it's really difficult to hold it more in your head. If you're finding things that are worrying you about the conversation you're having, just with that, we'll get, when we get to that stage, let, we'll, we'll table them and we'll all look at them together. So, yeah. yeah. It, I think another way of thinking about the side effect is that sometimes the brighter people shine, the more shadow they can cast. So, so we, we struggle at, and um, everyone has different levels of kind of self-confidence, don't they, often based on kind of their own background and personality type, parenting, all sorts of things built and, and things can either can crush people's confidence. And, and we're in situations sometimes where the more confident somebody is in a room, the less confident others can sometimes feel, which is why I see it's a kind of the shadow side. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that anyone should ever crush their own confidence or, 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 or make themselves smaller because I don't think that's helpful. But I think a recognition of the power of a personality on people who are less confident is, is useful in terms of how you, how you catch something, how you vocalise something. Yeah. And also I think it's power of hierarchy as well. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, I, I think that the higher up the tree you are, the less you see the hierarchy. So I was, I used to run the doctor's professional programme. Yeah. We had a talk from a very senior doctor in the, in, in the trust. And he stood there and went, there's no hierarchy here at all to a load of third-year medical students. And I just thought, <laughs> that's really interesting because I'm sure the medical students feel the hierarchy and I'm sure the junior doctors feel the hierarchy. Even if the leaders genuinely don't want there to be one, it's always going on. And no matter how kind and compassionate and non-hierarchical you are as a leader, if you've got people that are more junior than you or maybe a different type of profession than you, people just... It's, it's their own assumptions, no matter how much you're, you don't assume that, but people always just feel that, particularly the, the, if you feel that you're the bottom of the heap, you will massively see that hierarchy and you, you ignore that as a leader at your peril, don't you? Well, completely. I mean, in general practice, we've got an employee-employer relationship, haven't we, which has obviously got hierarchy inbuilt to it because you get paid someone's wages. I think if you deny any hierarchy, what you will then do is fail to mitigate for it because you will you're basically into now i think know that it's that these power imbalances are always going to be there and then 
work on how you mitigate them. I mean, it's the same with the kind of doctor-patient relationship, isn't it? Clinician-patient relationship. There's an inbuilt power imbalance that it will be really helpful if we mitigate. Yeah, yeah. And you, you always forget that, don't you, no matter how. And, and, you, and it can't be overcome just by... You know, saying there's no hierarchy. You say, you have to do it. You have to act it, don't you? Okay, let, I really want to hear your ideas. That's great. That's really important. And holding back maybe your stuff yeah. until the less confident or the people who see themselves as lowering the hierarchy have, have really yeah. had a chance to, to say their piece. And again, that's about awareness of what's going on, not just self-awareness, but awareness of what's, what's going on in the room. Yes, and and the, the natural tendency for people to, hide their thoughts if they if they're not confident they're brilliant ideas and and how do you how do you get those out using kind of more collaborative techniques yeah yeah, you deny there's a power but you'll do nothing to to help it no no and you you can't wish it away either and you can't get it away just by by being nice as well and you can't moan about it so you see sometimes where people are like estimate meetings they don't have any thoughts on this and there's just silence in the room and then you'll later the, the person leading will say well nobody ever contributes nobody ever does this and 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 it's such a kind of missed opportunity because it's not recognizing that if people haven't spoken that definitely does not mean that they're, they're not thinking or that they don't have ideas it means you haven't yet found the way of bringing those ideas out so the the, the problem is with the method that you've used not with the people in the room but we uh, yeah it's uh, sometimes easier to blame them yeah, the people in the room are more. I like that. Reach. I like that. So always assume that the people in the room have got stuff to say, and it's your job to get them to say it. Yeah, they do, don't they? Because they will chatter away quite happily. You know, when you're not there, and ideas will come up that way. Yeah, and if they really haven't got anything to say about it, it may be because they're really hacked off about what's, what's happening, and they're sulking, and they're just going. Brr. Yeah, and you hear that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Exactly. So how's it? How do we get more self-awareness? What would you suggest people do? I think, as I mentioned before, sometimes a formal um, tool is useful, but I do actually think um, genuinely going with an open mind to asking others is is helpful, as long as it's somebody that you know you can kind of trust to be kind to you. I was just thinking what, what a gift that is to, well, I guess a double-edged sword to be working with your husband because I think <laughs> your partner is the one person who just gives you the, you know, it's the best method of giving feedback because the relationship is there and you're not going to be worried too much about really upsetting them or whatever. You can just give it how it is and you've got hopefully the best intentions behind it to really help that person. And you're, you're not going to mince your words and just think, that's great. How can you get that feedback relationship with people that you're not actually living with or or whatever it's I guess it's sometimes about giving the permission to, isn't it? So yeah. um, having somebody that you trust in the practice who knows that you are really interested in your impact on the room, both positive and negative, and, and whether it's always productive and useful or whether it might be worth testing out new ways of being. So a little bit like when we do quality improvement, we don't suddenly have a massive revolution and change everything. We test out a new way. I wonder what will happen if I do blah. Um, so, um, and having someone that knows that you're doing that um, and that can be your kind of partner alongside it, your pal, that you can have a chat afterwards. I could try this out. What did you think? Did that work any better? Or I'm, I'm wondering about um, whether if I 
use more techniques where we're writing stuff down or whether I speak less or whether I, you know, and, and get them to kind of give me some feedback that way. I would thought that would be a pretty good way. I've not tried that out myself because obviously I've got my husband. And, <laughs> so, and that's easy. But I, I can imagine there'd be a lot of other places where that would work. Yeah. We did a, an exercise actually with our Redwell Lead Managed Thrive team. And, and also I've done this in a team coaching session with, with a team where it's like speed dating, but speed feedback. And you sit down and you've got five minutes and you say to the person, what are you doing that's particularly effective? You know, what do I particularly appreciate about you? And the way that, you know, what you're doing. And then the next question is, and you would be even better if, or, you know, your work would be even better if. And that even better if is a really, really helpful way of phrasing it. But even better if maybe you took a couple of minutes to pause before you spoke <laughs> or you focus on this more, you know, which would make it even more effective. That, that, that was, I got very good feedback. Both that's interesting and, and a different and another way of doing that could be that rather than the kind of deficit model when you look at the impact model like the side effect thing mm. so um, I love your great ideas and um, sometimes because you have great ideas and you think really quickly that can have the side effect of um, stopping other people from thinking or making them um, they, they're not thinking as quickly as you and so you've come up with the ideas and that question's then a contribution, not because um, they don't have it, but because your contribution is actually great. And, but, but so you, more things don't come out. So you look at how you mitigate the side effect rather than you having to check, you know. Yeah. You look at how you mitigate it rather than, you know, you're wrong or bad or. Yeah. Back to that really helpful thing of side effects. I, I really like it. I mean, I personally have found strengths inventories really, really helpful. For listeners who have never done one, it, they often involve like a really long list of questions. Maybe it would take half an hour or an hour to so just answer these questions. But then what comes out the other end is sort of a list of, of strengths. There might be 30 strengths and you've got this list of all your strengths, which is great. It's like, brilliant, I've got all 30 strengths, but in, in order. Yeah. Strengths. So, so basically the top five are your key strengths and the stuff at the bottom means you're really crap at this. <laughs> that's the way I take it anyway but that has been really helpful and there's there's several you can do aren't there there's one by Gallup there's a Clinton Strengths Finder there is a free version I think if people go to the it's the, called the VIA Survey of Character Strengths the Martin Seligman's organisation do that I've just found them really interesting and really helpful because actually the, you sort of think oh my strengths are being compassionate but actually the, the sort of strengths they come out with is one of them was like winning others over and I'm like, that's interesting so actually I'm quite good at being persuasive about things or communicating. And, and the strengths that came up with for me, I hadn't even really recognized. Well, when I read them, I was like, yeah, gosh, that makes sense. But I hadn't ever really identified that. And it really did change then what I focused on in my work and the sort of stuff I, I went after. I don't know if you found that happen when you did one. I think the fear is that we focus on the bottom five and go, I'm only rubbish at me. And that's what we need to make sure we move away from. Yeah. It's about how you use your strengths in your yeah. in your role as le- as leader, isn't it? And then your in your general and working life. How helpful is it as a leader to be aware of the either the personality profile or the strength or the motivations of, of other people in your team, and particularly the motivations? Right. We forget how important that is for things like um, job satisfaction and joy in work. Um, 
that people, no matter what part of the our team they are, whatever role they're working from the person that kind of clean the practice to, you know, frontline reception staff or practice nurses, they have gone into that role because of some motivating factor. And it's very rarely just about the money. In terms of their strengths, as leader, often it's one of the things that we do do is we keep an eye on what they're doing. We know what they're good at naturally. I, I, so, yeah, I think really important. And, and either formally or just kind of observationally, just from what we see. I think uh, depending on how comfortable people have been, what, what education level they've, they've gone through, there's a different degree of comfort with formal psychological profiling and things. I have seen some you know, emails from people in some corporate jobs, which literally have their personality profiles on the bottom, or they have like, I'm, I score three yellow and 10 red and five blue or something like that, which probably really helpful if, if all the team has done exactly those four colours thing or, or, or something like that. And it's always thinking, oh, that, that, that's really interesting that that's sort of in, in, in their signature, but it's, it's pretty helpful. Like I'm the go-to person for a hug when you're feeling down, or I'm the go-to person for the the answer when you need a bit of a you need a detailed answer or something. I'm the go-to person for yeah, yeah. That'll be well, fine. You know, to do. Yeah, don't mind me when I just tell you what to do because I'm extremely red, you know, yeah. in that category or whatever. But it does just help you make allowances for people, doesn't it? So, yeah. yeah. So we talked a bit about self-awareness and and, and the importance of it, and I I would say I think. The thing that's helped me the most for self-awareness is, is actually coaching. It's, it's getting a coach and talking, talking things through. So if, you know, if, if anyone can get hold of a coach, there's quite a lot of free coaching available in the NHS. I know there's quite a lot of free coaching available through the various leadership academies as well. Yeah. Um, and I think the NHS one is the Looking After You program, isn't it? So if you, if you go online and put in Looking After You NHS, you'll get... Really worth it. And I, I think sometimes in medicine we have this thing of, you only get a coach if you something's wrong you've got to solve a problem actually no you know in in businesses if you're a senior leader you'll have a coach you'll have a leadership coach to help you you know decisions are hard they're complex so you know get some get some self-awareness really important but just before we finish what other attributes would you think it, it would be really important to really work on if you want to really improve as, as a leader even if even if you don't really want to be a leader, but you're just there anyway. Okay. Uh, listening, active listening. So that would be my number one. And I think number one most important leadership skill is and um, is about properly trying to understand what somebody's saying. And, and that's, it sounds really obvious, doesn't it? But it does really mean stopping your own brain almost. And, and I, I can't remember where the quote came from, that real listening isn't just waiting for your turn to talk. So naturally, we get a fed a cue when our brains start thinking of our contribution to that thing. And immediately from that moment that happens, we stop and we stop listening. And, and, and I also didn't coin the term this either, but autobiographical thinking. So somebody's starting to, to say something and we immediately we put in our own slant on it depending on our own story so what when we when we experience that last when we and all those things get in the way of proper active listening and we see coaches are really properly trained in active listening that they're there just to do that but if we all did a little bit more of that and leaders do that properly when a team member mentions something how do you stop yourself making an assumption about what they mean how do you 
take those questions just to the next level about, oh, tell me exactly what happened and how did that feel? And um, because um, you can you can really crush somebody's feedback or, or something that they're trying to tell you by making those assumptions. So yeah, listening number one skill. Yeah, I've, I've had. I'm, I'm still working on it. <laughs> it's hard. The problem is, as GPs, we think we're trained how to listen. We're not really. We're trained how to listen in order to diagnose, not listen in order to just really, really understand. Yeah. And the quote I've heard is, "People around here don't listen; they just reload." And as a leader, I think if people come to you, just even just expressing displeasure or something about something, you can often feel it as direct criticism, even when it's even when it's not. They're just like saying something that got on their nerves. And then your initial reaction is defensiveness, isn't it? Your amygdala flares up, you're defensive. Then you you stop listening. Whereas if we could just get ourselves to go, tell me more about. Tell me more, yeah. And actually you mentioned about, although it is mostly for diagnosis, but we also kind of probe what patients are thinking and what they were hoping for. But we forget to do that outside the consultation loop. So and somebody comes to us with an issue or a problem and in the practice and when we're in our leadership capacity or, 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 you know, whatever level we're working at as a leader. And we think that they're coming to us because they want our answer. They want our solution. And when patients consult with a problem, we're trained to not assume that what they want is a diagnosis and a management plan. Actually, they might want a completely different question answered or something else is on their mind. We're trained to be really genuinely curious about that. We could translate a bit more of that to that genuine curiosity, which you're right, sometimes means questioning your gut reaction if, it, if it's negative, but also crushing your gut reaction of assuming that they've come to you for a solution when actually they want to talk something through. And if you have to be the person with the answers, that's not a great place to be. But if you're the person that then will listen and help that person and to, so I think a bit of coaching skills for every leader is good and to help that person that's come to you with their issue to come up with their own answer, it will be a better answer generally. Yeah. And even just use that, you know, we use ideas, concerns and expectations, don't we, in a consultation. Yeah. Just use that with people. Yeah. And even if you don't see yourself as a leader, if someone comes to you moaning about something, just try it. Just try yeah, it. Try it out. Yeah. Any other top tips before we go, Jenny? What, what, what would your three top tips be for, for being a, a, good, a good leader, even if you don't feel like... Okay, so number one, genuinely believe that you're not the person with the best ideas. The second one will be learn how to listen and continue to practice it because you will slip back into our habits frequently. We've, we've um, probably had decades of not proper listening, so, so definitely do that. And I, I quite like what you summarised before when, after we were talking about um, about in the room that remember that everybody in the room with you will, have, will also be having thoughts. And if you haven't heard them, then you haven't come up with a great idea to, to help them to express them. Great. Those are three fantastic top tips. So, Joe, we are out. We're out of time. But will you come back on the podcast at some point to talk more about any of this? It's been really nice to talk to you. Yeah, you might get me just talking about data and quality improvement. That will be my next, uh, my, my most favourite subject. So, so Joe, if people wanted to contact you, get hold of you, how could they do that? Um, well, I can, I'm happy for them to use my NHS net email address, which is joanna.bircher at nhs.net. Great. And they can find the book, which is called The Leadership Hike. Right. How can they get hold of that if they want to read it? And I'd it, recommend it's really good. It's available from all booksellers. You can order it from normal bookshops, which is obviously what we like to encourage. It's also available from the big online sellers. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> 
<laughs> Great. Well, Jay, thank you for, for sparing the time to come on here and best of luck with the book and, and with the second book as well. And we'll speak to you soon. Lovely. Thanks, Rachel. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.